This morning, I want to share a few thoughts on, uh, you know how Paul sometimes in his letters, at the end of his letters, he'll, he'll say certain things like, therefore, after he explains the invisible reality of what Jesus did and his death and his resurrection and what happened uh, in the work of the cross and in the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he explains the, the great mystery of our own death and our own resurrection and our own ascension in Christ. Then he gives some practical instructions about what this looks like. And he'll say things like, you know, you who stole, stop stealing, get a job, you know, things like that. And sometimes people, if you don't understand the invisible reality of what Jesus did, religion will take his instructions about what it looks like and make the instructions that Paul leaves about what it looks like, what this life looks like. Religion will make those commandments to keep, and that's where they miss it. Because it's like telling an orange tree, okay, you have a responsibility to bear oranges. That doesn't compute. An orange tree, you you don't tell an orange tree it has a responsibility to bear oranges. That's what it does. It's not a responsibility. It is a manifestation of its own life. So the whole angle that religion takes sometimes, religious thinking takes sometimes, legalistic thinking takes, is trying to modify behavior in the believer by putting this sense of duty, responsibility, uh, even an element of fear to get the believers to modify their behavior has nothing to do with the way of Christ. Nothing. In fact, the scripture says that the All fear has been cast out by this perfect love that has come to us in Christ. All fear. All all of that is a part of the fallen world. See, the fallen world needs the law. The fallen world needs the law. The law is not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, Paul said. The righteous in Christ, the law is not for the righteous in Christ. Paul says there are those who are zealous to preach the law and teach the law. They want to teach the law, not knowing this first, that the law is not for the saints. So they're trying to teach law to the saints when they don't know the very first thing Paul said, and that is the law is not for the saints. The law is for the world, for the fallen world, for the unrighteous. The law works out there. That's why we need judges and lawyers and we have sheriffs and police. We need that for a fallen world because they, have, they are darkened in their understanding, just like we were before we were born of the Spirit. They are alienated from the life of God, just like we were. They need fear of punishment to modify behavior. In fact, the Scripture says God has appointed these things in the fallen world, judges and police and so forth, and they bear not the sword in vain that the evil man might fear and not do evil. See? Without that in the fallen world, man, you'd have people coming just coming through your door at night and taking all you have and plundering you and but there's a fear in the fallen world of punishment and judgment so evil is restrained. So that the word of peace can go forth by us saints so as many as possible will hear our witness and believe and receive a life that is from above. And in that life, love is manifested, and there's nothing that love does that violates any law, Paul says. Isn't that awesome? But when we take that concept of of modifying behavior through fear, through commandments, through law, through judgment, when we take that, that dynamic into the church, 
We hurt her. We bruise her. We blind her to him because that's not his way. See, we're, this whole concept that we take these things that Paul writes at the end of his letters and we try to make them commandments to keep, that's trying to imitate Christ. We cannot imitate Christ. You can no more imitate Christ than a donkey can imitate a man. It's a different life form. It's the God life form. You have been given the God life form in Christ. You have been, you have been given, I have been given his very life within. Only as I live by his life within can I manifest who he is. See, it's not a matter of imitation. It's a matter of manifestation. We don't try to imitate Christ. We manifest Christ. An orange tree does not try to imitate another orange tree and become an orange and, you know, try to imitate. No, an orange tree merely manifests oranges. The scripture says the whole earth groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Manifestation. The whole creation groans and, and yearns for the manifestation of the sons of God. See? It is life that we're talking about here. His life. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. He is manifesting his life through me. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh is you working it, trying to imitate something, but the fruit of the spirit comes from life, fruit, from life, see, fruit of the spirit. So I want to just share some thoughts about how that looks like, what I've learned about um, living under grace. I want to talk about what I do the first thing in the morning, things like that. I rarely do this because I don't want to come across like I'm preaching myself. Paul says we preach not ourselves, but Jesus the Lord, but I think it's helpful every now and then to share because I've had some brothers and sisters ask me, well, what do you do in the morning? How do you do, what do you do when you pray? Or, or how do you, how do you do, um, is this, uh, or how do you, how do you do with, um, when you, when you sin, how do you handle sin? You know, what do you, what do you, the steps you take, are there steps, what do you do? So I think it would be helpful just to share some things I've learned about how God has taught me to live under grace, because we do now live under grace. We don't live under law. And there's so much thinking in our heads that is still law thinking, law-based thinking, which results in law-based doing, um, which I think clouds what God is trying to say to us. So anyway, I want to share some thoughts. These are not commandments to keep. These are not rules to do. This is a manifestation of his life and my life that he has taught me and how I live and how I'm, how I'm learning how to live by him. Because it's a, different, it's a different way of thinking. I mean, his ways are not our ways. His ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways different from our ways. We never, before we were born of the Spirit, we never, never had the thought that I was living by another who was within me. Unless you were weird. I mean, think about that. The Christian life is a life lived with a growing awareness of another living through me. 
Huge mind change. Huge, huge paradigm shift. Jesus said, the works that I do are not my works, but the Father who dwells within me, he does the works. The words I speak are not my words, but the words of my Father who dwells within me. He said, as I live by my Father, you shall live by me. See, the whole thing, this is awesome, the whole thing, God never intended you to live on your own and live by yourself and live with your own strength and your own wisdom. And he made you and I with a spirit who, so that God who is spirit may join himself to us. He, he made us that way, that we might live by him. The Son modeled that for us. He lived by the Father. He said, as I live by the Father, you shall live by me because I'm going to do something to bring you and my Father in union. For I shall be in you and you shall be in me and I am in my Father and my Father is in me. One, all, one. For my Father and I shall make our abode in you. We shall dwell in you by the gift of the Holy Spirit. The great mystery of our union with Christ. See? And so the, the main work of the Holy Spirit is to renew our minds to this new way of living. Living by another within. It's not, the main work of the Holy Spirit is not to point out sin in the flesh. The Holy, I'll tell you the truth, the Holy Spirit could, could really care, a little, could not care less. The Holy Spirit could not care less about sin in the flesh. You know why? Because that's not you anyway. Paul says, no good thing dwells in my flesh. No good thing. The new creation is not in the flesh but in the spirit. The new creation is a son of God. The new creation is the daughter of God. The new creation is from above and not from below. What is the Holy Spirit doing going back to earth, so to speak, looking at the body, looking at the flesh, and looking at what sins you have in the flesh? No, God has done a miraculous thing. He has cut you away from the body of the flesh by spiritual circumcision, Colossians says. He, by his own hand, has cut away the body of the flesh, quarantined the power of sin in your members, and now he says, look above, look at who you are in the spirit, consider, consider your body on earth, he says, on earth, dead, members dead to sin because that's not who you are. It's awesome. The Spirit of God shows us the deep things of God. The Spirit of God shows us the thoughts of God. The Spirit of God is not interested in pulling up the sins in the flesh. That's the law. Through the law is the, is the revelation of sin or knowledge of sin. That is not the way you duplicate Christ in the believer. Is pointing out the sins of the believer. It's not the way it's done. And that's why the Pharisees just didn't get a clue. They didn't understand this new way because the law was all about sin. Religion says you've got to look into your flesh and find out what your sins are so you can change. Jesus says, no, you have to look at me and see who you are in the spirit that you might manifest my new creation by grace through faith. As you received him, so walk ye in him. It doesn't change. How did we receive him? Received him by grace, complete grace. He did everything. We just simply believed by grace through faith. We simply believed as you received him, now walk in him in the same way, totally by grace, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Glory being manifested as we go from faith to faith, as he opens our eyes more and more and renews our mind to this awesome reality of union. What a rest. What a rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He said, in me you shall find rest for your souls. Let's pray just briefly. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit 
would open our eyes to this awesome reality. O Son of Man, O Son of God, oh God, your way is wonderful. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor. Your counsel is not of earth and not of man. You counsel us to see a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. Consider not the things of old. Oh, Father. Father, thank you for showing us your ways. Like a cool breeze on a summer evening. So awesome. Thank you, Father, for the rest. Jesus, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Amen. One thing he has taught me to do in the morning when I first wake up, living under grace, is I don't, he's really taught me not to do anything for him. Don't try to do anything for me. He doesn't, he doesn't want me to wake up thinking I've got to do things for God. The very first thing that I do in the morning is I remember, and I think this is really important because he knows the flesh is weak. He said the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows that we have, we, ha we all stumble in many ways, like James says. We all stumble in many ways. And the beauty of the new covenant is that in this new covenant, he no longer counts our sins against us. In this new covenant, I'll remember your sins no more. It's a covenant that God cut with his son for our benefit. It's not even a covenant between you and God. It's a covenant between the father and the son. The son fulfilled all things as a man, cut covenant with God, and sat down on the right hand of God. He came from heaven and went back to heaven, he said. A complete circle is completely finished. Nothing can break what he's done. He sat down. We become beneficiaries of what he did as a man for us when we simply believe. We simply believe, and this great mystery takes place when the, the Father places us in Christ by the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are immersed into Christ by the Holy Spirit, and the, the history of Jesus becomes our history. His perfect life becomes your perfect life. And even, bef and even before that, before you get his perfect life given to you and, you and me, his death became your death. His burial, your burial, his resurrection, our resurrection. It's awesome, great mystery, but it is the Christian life. It's all about death and resurrection. It's not about morality or doing good or doing evil. It's not about any of that. That's the wrong tree. It's all about life, the tree of life. It's all about God's way. So... The first thing I do in the morning is I just remember this. This is such an important thing to remember. Jesus said to remember his broken body, his spilt blood for the forgiveness of sins. First thing I say almost every morning is where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Now see, someone who is legalistic or maybe um, self-righteous, 
they, they don't want to pray that prayer too much because it sounds like you're just excusing your sin. You're just, you know, you're just like, listen, Paul boasted in the grace of God. When you get it, you boast in the grace of God. It doesn't mean you sin everywhere and you want to sin. No, you realize that the, the true, the person who really sees the holiness of God will boast in the grace of God. It's the legalist who doesn't have a clue how holy God really is that thinks he can somehow measure up. I mean, I mean when you really see the holiness of God, you are so thankful for grace. I don't care how perfect your day went. As I think Clark said one time, he wouldn't put 10 minutes of his best day next to the righteousness of God. Not 10 minutes of his best day of thinking everything pure and doing everything right and saying everything perfectly. He wouldn't put 10 minutes of that next to the righteousness of God. Neither would I. So the first thing I do is I just think, oh, God, it's so awesome. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I remember him, I remember the lamb that really honors the father and it honors the son. And then what I do is I just let him love on me. I'll lay in bed and I'll just, sometimes the sun's coming up if, I, if it's not too early, sometimes it's too dark taking the kids to school and stuff, but I'll just lay in bed and just let him love on me. You see, you cannot give what you don't have. You, in, in, the, in the natural, it seems selfish to do, take care of you first. But in the spiritual, it's not selfish. It's, it's God's way. You know, like when you're on an airline and they say, you know, if the airbags fall, you know, first put, first put the airbag on yourself, then on your children. Don't try to save your children first because then you'll go unconscious and your children, you're all going to die. So put the mask on yourself first so you can be alive to help your children. Same way in the spiritual. I cannot give what I don't have. And so I must be a good receiver. Like Clark says, if, 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 there's, if there's anything that, the, the, one of the major things Clark has taught us is to be good receivers because that's the key to everything. Receivers. So I just let him love on me. I just, I, I hear, hear him tell you, hear him tell you how, how beloved you are to him. We don't hear that enough. We, we, we get down on ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves. Um, we, we see our sins before us. And that's why it's so important to remember the covenant that he remembers our sins no more and let him love on you. So the first thing in the morning, I just let him love on me and just let him, just let him hold you. Let him love on you. You cannot give that love to others unless you receive it first for yourself. And then I... I kind of, it's not in this order or anything, but it's like, this is the, some of the thoughts that go through my head. I, I remember how I'm in union with him. See, if you're thinking that he's far, far away, then you're thinking as if you're under law. You're not under law if you're a believer, but you're thinking as if you're under law, if you think he's far away. So I remember how, how intimate he is in me, that he's really inside of me. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit, the scripture says. So I remember that the fact that he's, he's not far away. I mean, think about this. I mean, really, if you think about how God, the God of the universe, is inside of you right now. What shall, what shall be against us if God be for us? 
No weapon formed against you shall prosper. All those truths come out, you know, the reality of God is with me always, as he promised, even until the end of the world, Emmanuel. So I think about that. I think about Oh, and I think about, for instance, if I, if I have a, a sin on my mind or something in the flesh that I did the day before that I feel like I, I really wish I had not done that or acted like that or whatever, I thank him that, it's, that it was forgiven before it even happened. I thank him. And I just thank him that for his awesome grace and mercy that even before I sin, it's all forgiven. I thank him. Now, see, if you're, if you're thinking you have to confess your sins and name your sins to get forgiveness and get cleansed and stay in fellowship with God by confession and forgiveness of sins, if you're thinking like that, you're thinking as one who is under law. Most of the church thinks like that. Most of the church, because they're taught that. They're taught that you need to confess your sins on a daily basis so you can get cleansed again and again and again and forgiven again and again and again using 1 John 1, 9 as their proof text when that verse doesn't mean that at all. And that verse, as we know, is teaching that an unbeliever, an unbeliever who does not have the word in him, does not have the truth in him, who has called God a liar and said, I'm not a sinner, who is deceived, that's the description in 1 John 1, 8 and 1 John 1, 10, below it, first and below it, that's the description of an unbeliever, an unregenerate person. That person needs to agree with God that he's a sinner. God is faithful and just to forgive their sin and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Very simple verse, very powerful verse for the unbeliever to easily enter into the kingdom. But it's not the bar of soap for the believer. It's not a bar of soap for the Christian. So if you're thinking you have to name your sins and confess your sins on a daily basis to stay right with God or stay cleansed or stay forgiveness, stay forgiven, you are thinking as if you were under law. Though you're not if you're a believer. But you're thinking. That's part of the renewal of the mind is to stop doing that. You cannot grow in your awareness of your union with Christ if you're allowing that lie to permeate your, your walk with God in thinking that you would need continual cleansing and continual forgiveness. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's the work of the enemy. It's the work of religion to keep you sin conscious instead of Christ conscious. Because religion says, oh, no, no, we've got to keep the sin in front of them so they stop sinning, so they won't sin to modify their behavior. No, the wisdom of God is just the opposite. God knew what he was doing when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the old covenant thinking is a covering of sin. They had to cover it daily, covered it, covered it, covered it, covered it, the covering of sins. And they were never done. They were never finished. And there was a, remember, a remembrance of sin, Hebrews says, a remembrance of sin continually all the time because they were constantly, continually covering their sin. Not so under the new covenant, Hebrews says. For the, under the new covenant, God has prepared for him a body. Thou hast prepared for me a body, the son said, that I might do thy will. And what was his will? His will, in essence, was to take away the sin of the world. To take away the only thing between God and man. To take it away. Blessed is the man, Paul says, whose sin the Lord will no longer take into account. For God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. This is the one word 
that will destroy religion. Do you realize that Jesus put religion out of business? Religion is truly in the business of managing sin, and they make billions of dollars doing it. Religion is in the business of managing sin, and they make billions of dollars doing it. Jesus put them completely out of business when he took away sin. And those who get it are released from the power of men's manipulation and the work of religion. Not a rebellious, arrogant freedom, but an awesome humility that says, wow, God, God, you love me so much. You don't don't want me focused on sin. You want me focused on you. God, my Father. And that work of God will produce in the believer the love of God. Not an arrogance, not a rebelliousness, not a person who tears down, but a person who builds up, a peacemaker, a person who is gentle, a person who forgives easily because he has been forgiven, a person who shows mercy easily because he has received mercy. I mean, it's awesome. It's genius. genius. It's God. It's God living through us because we simply believe. But religion will have none of it. Religion will keep you in this thinking Because it's their survival. That's one of the reasons why the Pharisees went after Jesus. Because they said, you know, if what he's teaching is gets out, we'll lose our place. We'll lose our authority. We'll lose our power. That's that's at the, the base of a lot of this. When you really get it, you want people to be released to Jesus. You don't want people to be under you or under a church or under a denomination or under a rule. You won't... You know, that's why Jesus said, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, he said in the book of Revelation. Nicolaitans means to rule. Nico means to rule. Laitans means laity. The ruling over the laity. I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. How they want to, the clergy, laity, dichotomy. Jesus hates that whole concept of the clergy ruling over the layman. He hates that. Never was in the early church. For the greatest shall be the servant of all. He wants the body to be equipped by the gifts he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds. By the way, it's only a fourfold ministry, not a fivefold ministry. The fourth word in the Greek is shepherds. They added the word pastors and teachers because in the old days they, had, they, used, they, they used the word pastors and there was not a single place in the entire Bible where the word pastor was used. So they had to invent a place where they had to put pastors so they added the word pastor. It's shepherd. Not that pastor is a bad word. I'm not saying it's a bad word. It's, you know, it's okay, but understand it's not a five-fold ministry. It's a four-fold ministry. In the Greek, it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds. Shepherds teach and they shepherd. They teach. Pastors and teachers are both combined into one office. They teach as well as they nurture and care as a pastor or as a shepherd. So it's a fourfold ministry. Not that that matters a whole lot, but it's just... God's heart is to use the giftings that he's given to the body of Christ to build up the body, that the body would be ministered to. Why? For the work of the ministry, the body doing the work of the ministry. And everywhere they go, in their schools, in their jobs, in their workplace, in their families, they do the work of the ministry. See? 
It's not, it's not the big clergy laity thing. No, it's, it's the, actually the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds were actually the, they were like underneath the body, holding the body up. They weren't on top of the body ruling over them. I don't know how I got off onto that. But that's, it's important to see his heart. His heart is to set you free. To set you free. To be like, um, I love that, what is written about Naphtali. You know, the, the, uh, the sons of Israel were given prophecies. And Naphtali, the, the, naf, the prophecy to Naphtali, which is, which is the area that Jesus near Galilee walked that is recorded in Isaiah, I think chapter 9 in Isaiah, where Isaiah says, they who sat in darkness by Galilee in the, in the land of Naphtali have seen a great light and a, and a light has dawned within them. I love that. The prophecy given to Naphtali, you know what it is? You shall be like a deer set loose and free. He who made the worlds walked in the realm of Naphtali and fulfilled the prophecy given of the realm of, of the region of Naphtali. He and only he can release us like a deer set free. I have seen a great light and a light has dawned within them. Awesome. Jesus. Jesus. Light of the world. Freedom. Liberty. So I, when I pray, I pray, and I, I, uh, I just don't ask forgiveness. I, I said this a long time ago. I said up here one time, I said, uh, you know, I haven't asked forgiveness for my sins for 26 years. And, uh, and my wife, Cindy, she goes, oh, no, don't say that. Don't say that. She goes, we're going to get kicked out of this church. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I haven't. Now it's 30-something years now since I said that. It doesn't mean I don't acknowledge my sin or acknowledge the flesh. And, you know, I'm not saying that. That's when I do walk after the flesh and I see that's not Christ-like, I, I, I learn from it. I thank God that I'm already forgiven for it. And I move on. I forget that which is past. If I need to ask forgiveness from, from somebody else, I certainly do that. That's different. That's this way. If I have hurt someone and, and I feel like the Spirit's saying you need to ask them to forgive you, then absolutely. It's not a cavalier way of living at all it's just the truth that i'm not focused on sin anymore because i'm not in my sin but i'm learning how to live by another who's within me you see and it's awesome it's an awesome way to live and it's an awesome way to be free of guilt and condemnation it's ridiculous to be in it in one second to be guilty one second as a believer one second you should not be feel guilty one second i don't care what you've done sin is not being counted against you where there is no law there's no transgression Paul says, if I sin, does that mean Christ is the minister of sin? He says, God forbid, but I don't go back under the law and make myself a transgressor either. You see that? You don't go back under the law and make yourself a transgressor because if you're not under law, there's no transgression. Paul says, that's not Christ that's ministering sin through me. That's just the flesh. And I'm, I've got to learn how to live by the spirit and not the flesh. See? I heard a guy on the TV just the other day said, <clears throat> he said, if he said, repentance, I hear all this talk about repentance is just changing your mind. And he goes, it's more than that. 
He goes, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah it is. Change your mind. But it's more than that. It's, it's, you've got to change your whole life. If you haven't repented, of, you say you repented of something and you're still doing it, then you have not repented. And I listen to that, and I'm thinking, no. What do you do with Paul? What do you do with Paul? Romans 7. I am doing something I hate. I hate what I'm doing. I, I, I have the will to do the right thing. Uh, I, I, uh, I know what's wrong. I have the knowledge what's right, and I will to do right. And I hate what I'm doing, but when I want to do good, evil is present with me. And the time I want to do good, I do evil. You think he repented? He sure did. That's a man who has changed his mind about sin, doesn't want to do it, he hates it, but he's still doing it. He's still sinning, and this preacher says he has not repented. This preacher says Paul has not repented. It's a lie. Paul in Romans 7 or Romans 6 or Romans 8 afterwards never mentions the word repentance to solve this problem at all. Never brings up the subject of repentance. You know why? Because he's already changed his mind about it. We have put so much power in that word repentance as if it's the cure-all, as if, you know, just, just repent. Well, what if, you, what if I did repent and I, I don't want to do this anymore? Do you have answers for me? No, just repent. Do you have answers for me? I hate what I'm doing. Do you have answers for me, preacher? No, he doesn't. All he knows is to say, you're not serious, you haven't surrendered, you're not committed, and that's not the truth. The truth is, in Romans 8, Paul says the mind must be renewed to a new reality of your union with Christ. You must see who you are, that you're a beloved son of God, that you've been raised from the dead, and that you are as righteous as God himself is righteous because of his own doing. He has created in you, created you a new creation. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we simply should just walk in as we are manifesting the life that is within us. A whole new and living way of living. That's why so many believers are burned out, discouraged, given up, because you can only preach what you see. You can't preach what you don't see. And these preachers that preach just repentance, repentance and law and judgment and fear and trying to modify people's behavior, they don't see. They don't see beyond just the baptism of John, really. In a sense, they see just the baptism of John, repent. They don't see there's been a death and a resurrection. There's been a new creation. There's been a door that's been opened that no man can shut. There's been another reality that's moved into this planet, on this planet called the kingdom of heaven. It is the, re it's the reality of God. It's his home. The son has brought his home to us. We can live in his home here on earth within. As God, my father, as an heir, as a son, as righteous as the father himself because of what Jesus did. Peace. He, he said, I leave my peace with you. The peace I have back home, I leave it with you. The joy, I, my joy, I leave with you. The joy I have back home, I leave it with you. I leave my home with you. I go to prepare a place for you that you may be where I am in my home. And he did it. In three days he did it. And he brought us into his home where he lives. He goes, I prepared a place for you that you might be where I am at my home. And now his home has come to us. Like Clark says, it's not, us, it's not about us trying to get into heaven. Heaven has come to us. 
Wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles, heaven has come to us. If your Christianity doesn't have, if your Christianity doesn't have, how can these things be, then you don't see it. If you don't have this, this wonder about it, like, how can these things be? Or we have seen marvelous things today. Or, but, but. <laughs> and then Jesus says, with men it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, it's such an adventure. It's an unexpected journey. It's a beautiful, unexpected journey with him. His peace is within you. His joy is within you. His righteousness is so intertwined in you that you have no past. As Clark says, the new creation has no past. You have no sinful past. A new creation has no sinful past. And the new creation cannot sin, John tells us, for the seed of God abides within you. Anytime you sin now, it's just the flesh and it's not the real you. And God is teaching us how to live by him within so that we can manifest who he is and bring glory to him. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of him and not of us. So just to wrap it up, I start my morning like that. That's how I pray. I, I don't pray asking for forgiveness. I pray thanking God for forgiveness. Praying under grace. Praying under grace, saints, is a lot different than praying under law. You're not covering sins. Sins have been taken away. God is not far away. He's inside. God is not some Lord that's lording over you. He's your daddy. Papa, Abba. You're not trying to be holy. You are holy. You're not trying to be righteous. You are righteous. You're not trying to earn heaven. You're from heaven. You're from there. You're going back. That's your home. You're born from above. You're going to return to your home. I mean, it's completely different from praying under law and praying under grace. Completely different. It's a different paradigm, completely different. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, Peter says. It's contagious. People want to know. What do you know? What do you have? Why are you so joyful? Why do you have peace in the midst of turmoil? Why aren't you worried about the world events? And why aren't you worried about over in Israel? Why are you worried about the world? Why aren't you worried about pollution? Why aren't you worried about all this? Well... This is not our home. And we are lights and we are salt here to be a blessing on this earth. But all you can do is be a witness to what you know. Then it's up to them to receive it or not. It's not your responsibility to save the world. All you have to do is let your light shine. It's a rest. Plant seeds. Don't argue. Plant seeds. Like Jesus did. He'd plant seeds. He'd make them think. He'd say, huh, that's interesting. Well, if David, if Messiah is to be the son of David, as the prophets say, why would in this passage he would call this Messiah, who would be his son, why would he call him Lord over here? 
Pharisees look at each other like, that's a good question. How could the son of David, our Messiah, be Lord to David? They didn't know. God himself would come. This is not going to be some regular Messiah. But he would plant seeds like that. He would ask him questions. Do you realize when he was 12 years old in the temple, 12 years old in the temple, he said, the scripture says that they were amazed, not by what, not by what he was teaching as a 12-year-old. The scripture says the Pharisees were sitting around him, this is Jesus at 12 years old, they were amazed at the questions he asked. See, he knew, but he would ask them questions that, that would stump them. And they, they were amazed at his questions because we didn't have answers. Awesome. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for teaching us that you want to manifest your life through us. We are not to imitate you, but to manifest as we simply rest in you, Lord. Such a joy to live under grace and not under law. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us how to live by another within. Such a rest. Father, I pray that your hand of blessing and favor would be upon everyone at the sound of my voice. I pray the saints would rest and receive the favor of God in everything they do. The favor of God, for you are the sons and the daughters of the living God. He loves you so. He loves you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, he has drawn you to himself. Amen.